0: Well, if you walked in and saw the sign to grab a penny, uh, maybe some of you did, maybe some of you didn't. but I want you to imagine I want you to imagine trying to take one side off of the penny and what you would end up with. because what you would end up with is not half a cent. you would wind up with something that is worthless of really no value at all. And as we study this passage today in James, we're going to see that James talks about faith and works, essentially being two sides of the same coin. you really can't have one without the other. He's going to tell us that a workless faith is a worthless faith. Now, those are strong words, And it's a challenging passage, but the point in this passage is indeed that faith and works go hand in hand. They are inseparable to some degree. In James' writing, uh, the book of James has been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. So there are, are not really exceptions. There are a lot of bold statements. James talks a lot about wisdom, which, biblically speaking, wisdom is not necessarily being smart or being an owl. It's being righteous. The biblical concept of wisdom is righteousness, aligning yourself with God in the righteous path. That's wisdom. It's character. And James carries that theme through his writing as well. And so there are bold statements, like in Proverbs, right? There are bold statements to which I think many of us, if you're anything like me, are like, well, yeah, but that's not always true, right? You read something in Proverbs and it says, well, the righteous will prosper. And you're like, well, there are exceptions. And I think sometimes in our minds, we want to find those exceptions. I don't know if that's unique to our culture or just unique to sinful human nature, but we love to find exceptions and loopholes, maybe often because we want to avoid consequences or work. And what James is going to tell us is that there, there isn't escaping work, or rather works, good works. Again, a workless faith is a worthless faith. To borrow uh, yet another person's phrase, faith that doesn't work, doesn't work. So let's dive in to James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And James starts out bold. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Well, he opens up with a few questions. Uh, his first question is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? A lot of rhetorical questions in this passage, and the answer to this rhetorical question would be an assumed no, right? It's, it's not any good. And we want to remember, as we're studying this passage, we want to remember who James is writing to. He is writing to brothers, right? Brothers and sisters. He's writing to the Christian community that is dispersed and undergoing some different things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone addressed in the book of James is a Christian or a believer, um, maybe even this person, this someone, in verse 14. But it, but it does mean that James is writing to Christians to help them act like it. So we've got to keep that in mind as the context for this letter. I don't believe that James is writing to cause his readers or his audience to become neurotic about their own salvation. Wait a minute, am I really saved? Am I really saved? To constantly be asking that. I think there is security that God offers through his word that one can know that they are saved. However, James wants to point out some inconsistency that he sees between faith and works in his readers. So it isn't any good, according to James, to say that someone has faith without having any works to back that up. To clarify the importance of this question, James asks a follow-up. Can that faith save him? We start to get a little bit nervous at this point. And a lot of disagreements begin here. right? Because again, the answer to this rhetorical question is, no, it's a negative. No, it can't save him, but... But wait a minute, I thought that faith alone is exactly what saves people, right? It's by God's grace. We're You're here at the grace works for a reason. We didn't name the church the works works. So it's by God's grace through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saves someone. That moment they're adopted into God's family and that salvation can't be taken away. There's nothing that someone can do to earn that salvation. It's through faith, which in and of itself is a gift from God. So so how does this match up? Should we throw out the book of James? Or is there another way that we can address this apparent contradiction. Well, I think there are a couple of different ways that we can address it. One, we can adjust our understanding of faith. The other is to adjust our understanding of salvation at least in this in this context. So, that faith that James is talking about either must be false or ineffective in some way. Either that or we must be talking about some other kind of saving or salvation. Again, since James is writing to Christians, he may not necessarily be talking about a heaven-hell salvation. The recipients of this letter were going through trials. And it's perhaps these trials or perhaps future judgment that all of us will undergo that these recipients needed to be saved through. The Bible speaks of several judgments. When a person places their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, they are declared righteous and escape hell. And yet there is future judgment where everyone's deeds, good or bad, will be judged. And so, these seem to be different judgments. And so, when we're reading through, for instance, the book of James, we need not limit James to only heaven and hell types of decisions. Again, so maybe, maybe that faith simply can't, in the tradition of wisdom, save a person through trials on earth. Or, or maybe that, that kind of faith won't result in any rewards or, maybe that faith isn't what we think of as faith at all, and that might be James's point. That it's not a real, genuine faith. As if anticipating some confusion, and I'd like to give you a super hard and fast answer on this, but it's difficult. So as if, Anticipating some of this confusion, James goes on to give a concrete example of what he means. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, what good is it, he says, to give them some words? They're nice words, I guess. Uh, Maybe even a prayer, a, a blessing, but they're kind of empty, just like these people's stomachs. James says, what kind of faith doesn't care about others and provide what is needed? He takes it a step further, right? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, He uses a number of different descriptions to talk about that faith. Faith alone, faith apart from works. And he says it's dead. Now again, this is is one of the most highly debated passages in all of Scripture in terms of what some of these individual things mean. Many people have dug into the meaning of what dead faith means? Uh, does it mean that it was oh, once alive and now it just needs to be rekindled? Maybe. Or does it mean dead as in it's of no value? It's non-existent. There never was any faith. Good questions. You can talk about that in community group. He continues on. He says in verse 18, but someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now James builds his case in verse 18 by introducing an imaginary, although apparently all too real, type of objector. Someone will say, something. And here's where we get into a lot more debate. There are quite a few ways to understand these verses. And a lot of it has to do with punctuation. In the original Greek, there wouldn't have been punctuation. And so that was added to help us understand dialogue. And most of the time, throughout all of uh, biblical translation, it's pretty easy. In this case, maybe not so much. So the ESV adds the quotation marks around what I've highlighted on the screen. You have faith and I have works. That maybe that is what the objector is saying. Uh, That could mean the objector is saying something like, well, one person has this gift and another person has another gift. Like it's all kind of the same and it's all good. As in... Someone who doesn't have food or clothing comes, and you know what it's not really my gift to do like the food thing or the giving thing. I'm kind of more a faith guy, so i'm going to I'm going to pray for them and send them on their way so that could be the objection again, uh, the way that it's phrased seems a little bit odd. you would expect the objector to say. Well, I have faith, and you have works. Instead of the other way around, not perfect. Some people think that the quotation marks should just be around that part. The "you have faith," but adding a question mark instead, like "you have faith," and James's response would be, "And I have works. Yes, I have faith." And works right they go hand in hand there together the uh, another Bible translation the NASB actually has quotation marks around a longer section right you have faith and I have works show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works again the objection seems more like proving James's point But it's a possibility, and and still other people have quotation marks around several verses, right? Highlighting that whole uh, part. Structurally, this probably makes the most sense where the answer to this objection would be in verse 20. Do you want to be shown? Like that fits the structure of how you normally see that in literature. Um, But again, the objection is a little bit strained, Here's what I know for sure. Right, no matter where you put the punctuation and the quotation marks, there's some challenges. But the objector, right, this is clear. The objector seems to be trying to divorce faith from works. That part is absolutely clear. And James is trying to address that tendency for people to do that, to separate those, and say one is not necessarily necessary. What the objector seems to be saying, again from the rest of James's writing, is that some, in, in some manner, not helping people, showing preference, uh, quitting when things get hard, giving in to temptation like those things are somehow fine if you have faith but at least by verse 20 James's response is really really that's okay not providing for someone not caring for someone is okay not based on following the Jesus I know, says James. Now, I certainly lean towards James saying, show me your faith, that this is, this is part of his response. Show me your faith apart from your works, which I think James would say is impossible. And I will show you my faith by my works, which I think James would say is natural. Natural. Right? Acknowledgement of certain aspects of doctrine only goes so far. Demons. Yeah, we'll go there. Demons, right? Know some things about God. They they know some things about God. One could say they believe. Right? They're not unaware of Of the nature of God. They're not unaware that God is one. This may be a nod to uh, the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6 4, um, a really foundational text for Jews uh, that begins Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it goes on to, to tell the Israelites how to transfer faith to the next generation. But demons are not unaware of that, and yet. They choose to do evil works. It's deplorable, that choice. But I think what James brings out is that their reaction is actually more appropriate than some of the Christians that James is writing to. Because the demons understand some of the nature of God and shudder. Because why? Judgment is coming, and they know that they will be found wanting. Whereas some of the audience that James is addressing seems perfectly content to stay at words. And I think James may be saying that continuing on this course should make them shudder. Because they'll be judged, maybe not necessarily for their pursuit of evil works, but maybe for their lack of good works. And better yet, rather than shuddering, their response should be to do good works, to match with their actions what they say, where they say their faith is lest it just be lip service. The response should be real faith that works itself out in good works. Still not convinced, James says? Right, you want proof? Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? And this this is actually really strong language. Uh, Biblically speaking, a fool is not, oh, he does silly stuff all the time. That's not at all what fool means in scripture fool means someone who sets themselves up in opposition to god the person who chooses the unrighteous path james reasserts that faith apart from works is useless now again i, I can't i can't affirm that those who would use Passages like this to make works a necessary part of being saved from hell because that seems to be works-based salvation. That doesn't line up with Scripture. Right? Scripture is by faith alone. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, "...for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast." Belief in the saving work of Jesus saves in that way, but it saves us to something and for something. Think about this. Why would God keep us around on earth if the only point was to believe in him? Once we believe, boom, we should be with him, right? But no. We have things to do here on earth. There are more people who need to hear the gospel. There are people who need to be taken care of. There are good works to be done which God planned for us. And so faith and works in James' words, in Paul's words, in Jesus' words are connected. They're tied together. That faith, that kind of faith is useful to the person who has it, to the community, and to the world, and demonstrates that that person has faith. Because faith is invisible. Right? If I tell you I love you and, and don't back it up at all, wouldn't you question? Well, James offers some more proof from other examples examples in the old testament he continues on in his argument and says was not abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son isaac on the altar you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that abraham sa- or that says abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. Again, really bold statements that seem to go against everything that Paul writes and other scriptures says. James says that Abraham was justified by works. Wait a minute. I thought we had just cleared up some of those word choices, and yet now we have something that seems really contradictory to like Ephesians 2: 9 so again when we when we see a word justify we might automatically go to uh, how Paul usually uses the word being given a righteous legal standing before God right kind of the initial salvation so to speak and if James is talking about that justification then we have a problem because that would be a conflict. But as some commentators and other pastors have have said, that Paul is speaking of legal justification before the eyes of God, while James may be speaking more of a vindication or being shown to be right, maybe in in the eyes of men, right? Because you and I can't see faith. We can't. It's, It's invisible. The things that we can see is how that works out in someone's life. And maybe what James is talking about is that, again, vindication, right, proving that the faith was, was already there and guiding those actions and those good works. As one pastor put it, uh, Paul and James are, are best understood to be addressing really dissimilar situations, whereas Paul's audience was in danger of relying on works for salvation Right? I'm going to get circumcised, and then I'll be saved. I'm going to follow Jewish laws, and then I'll be saved. Whereas James's audience, his readers, seem to be excusing themselves from good works, showing that faith is dead. The story of Abraham offering up his son on the altar, uh, don't try this at home, Uh, was 25 years after the first time that Abraham was said to have been justified by his faith, right? That justification was his belief of God's word, right? God spoke to Abraham, said, I'm gonna make a people out of you and I have plans for you and you need to leave your homeland and Abraham said, okay, right? That faith guided his actions. Now, in this passage, it says, it says he was justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac. I think another way of, of understanding that uh, just with the language is having offered up his son Isaac. So not necessarily that James is saying at that moment when Abraham offered up his son Isaac well then he was saved. Now the faith preceded and this was just an opportunity to demonstrate that faith before God and others. So 25 years later, when he was able to show his faith through his works, James said that his faith was completed by his works in verse 23. Again, that word completed, the same word from James chapter one, verses two to four, talking about our trials, right? Trials complete or perfect our faith. The concept, the idea is maturity, So Abraham's faith was shown to be valid and mature and complete when he actually got to act on it. And my faith, your faith, is fulfilled, completed, perfected. Not perfect, but perfected when it moves into that natural course of of maturity and and results in works. Works. I think we can also take some consolation in Abraham's example. Uh, he worked out his belief, he worked out his faith, but not perfectly. Right, we can always wonder, well, what would have happened if Abraham hadn't offered Isaac? What what would have happened if he hadn't left his homeland? Well, what would happen if he didn't trust God that he could have a child in his old age with his old wife? Well, we have that example. It turned out horribly. But, but Abraham still retained his faith and learned from it slowly and continued on. Great, he didn't lose his faith because he made a mistake. But he continued to work out his faith throughout his life. His faith is what credited righteousness to him. It's God's grace that credited righteousness to Abraham. Not because he was perfect in all of his actions. But his faith preceded everything. It was the reason for his works. James says that 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 relationship resulted in Abraham being a friend of God. Not actually a phrase found in the Old Testament, but, but descriptive of the relationship. And we do this all the time. If I asked you, do you know so-and-so? Well, maybe some of you would say, well, I, well, I know of this person. Or you might say, well, I, I know this person. They're an acquaintance. Or you might say, yeah, I know them. Or they're my best friend. Where you have some of these these levels and, and depth of intimacy in these relationships. And for Abraham to be called a friend of God, he didn't just know of God. He knew God. Right? Demons know of God. They know all about God. They don't know God. There's a qualitative difference in that relationship. And I think... I think simply acknowledging God, although it's a great first step, right? James says you do well, but it's not the same as a relationship with God. And it doesn't have all the same benefits as being a friend of God. And again, none of that is earned. Right? James repeats that Abraham's righteousness was credited. But the relationship is very different. And as James will cover in chapter four, there's, it's that choice between being a friend to the world or friend to God. Well, James says, okay, if Abraham isn't convincing you, let me throw one more example out at you. We go to Rahab. Uh, before we talk about Rahab, uh, we have verse 24. It says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, verse 24, again, we've seen this several times as James talks about faith and works. Does it hit anybody else? Like, ah, I thought we just covered that and now here it is again and I have to wrestle with This theological concept, again, I thought it was faith alone that justified. Again, from Paul's writings, I think that would be correct. With James, that word alone is a really key concept. Faith alone. He's talking, he wants to talk about genuine faith. The faith that works itself out. And works. And I don't think that James is in disagreement with Paul or the rest of Scripture. Again, the demons mentioned before, who have a knowledge of the truth about God, they work against God rather than with God. That's not true faith, even though they might acknowledge the same things that we do doctrinally. But let's take a look at Rahab. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab, Rahab shares that she heard about the Lord's power, and she sided with God. She aligned herself with God and with his people because of the powerful ways that she had heard about God working with the Israelites. And so when some spies, uh, here called messengers, came into town, she hid them and helped them. In so doing, when they left, they promised to spare her life, which happened, and the lives of her family members. And so her faith, her faith in what God, who God was and what he was doing, saved her life in more ways than one. Practically in this life, it saved it. And I think we can be quite sure that she was vindicated ultimately and is with Christ right now. So several different salvations, this life, the next life. And it's her faith right and how that worked out that justified her there's a there's a common theme in wisdom literature again you see this in proverbs you see this in james about this this idea of unrighteousness leading to premature death and you see that in james's writing so sometimes again we're we're looking for the exceptions right I'm thinking in my mind well it doesn't always because I know I know really committed people really committed believers who have died prematurely and that that doesn't seem fair but that's an exception right the idea biblically is that righteousness prospers and righteousness prolongs life and righteousness fulfills life James ends the text today with return to the previous thought. Before in verse 20, James said, faith apart from works is useless. Now again, he says it is dead, like a body apart from the spirit. He says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Nope, oh, I already read that, didn't I? Yeah, there we go. Um, but some would argue that that a person's faith being dead, meaning that it was once alive. And the solution would be to restore that, right? To embolden that faith, to rekindle it, to bring it alive again, right? It's there, it's dormant, dead. And others, again, would argue that such a person never had genuine faith. The solution, of course, would be to believe, to actually believe Not just lip service, but to believe the gospel message. Here's what I can say with certainty. Because James doesn't seem to be writing this letter as a detailed explanation of of all about salvation. But it is a very practical letter. Like, match your faith and your works up. And so I can say really clearly, if a person's works don't match their faith, there's a problem. Just plain and simple, there is a problem. And I can't necessarily tell you whether you have genuine faith or not. I can't necessarily tell you what the solution is other than to go back to the gospel over and over and over again. And believe that and let that transform your life. If you tell me you believe in Jesus, awesome. I will take your word for it. But as a community, we also ought to call each other out if our actions don't match our faith. If you don't believe yet, maybe you've had some people in your life who just gave lip service to Jesus. That, that they claim to be Christian and you couldn't tell the difference. Maybe they did some really awful things to you. I still want you to take James's words to heart. Right? To believe and to allow him to transform your life. And if you do believe, is your faith alive? Is it alive? Is it fulfilling? Is it invigorating? Are you being of use to other people? Are you taking advantage of opportunities that God gives to you? Quick story before I end. Uh, Last night I went to go pick up a gift card for some of the you know, presents for Olive Crest. And uh, I saw a couple people standing outside the grocery store. And as I was pulling into the parking lot, I'm like, ah, I should probably do something, right? I'm preaching a sermon about it tomorrow. I should probably do something. So so I go and I park. And I'm like, well, I got to run an errand somewhere else. I'll do that real quick. And then I'll I'll come over, see if they need some help and see if I can get something in the grocery store for them. So I the other errand, and I go back, and guess what? They're gone. They were gone. I waited long enough that the opportunity to be of use, to be helpful, passed. And I can't tell you how many times I do that. I've gotten pretty good at it. I've found that if I wait long enough, opportunities usually pass by. The problem is it doesn't absolve me of responsibility. And so I hope that we are I hope that we are people who can be of use that can show genuine faith through our good works not to earn a place in heaven that's not what does it, but because it's the natural outflow of what Christ has done for us, and therefore we can show in small ways that gospel message to others. Let's try to not be the exceptions or to find the loopholes in this, because part of, part of the way I think Right, True confessions from stage, part of the way I think is, well, okay, how, how many? How many good works? Like, when am I safe? And I think that kind of question would, would astound James. <laughs> what do you mean? All, all of them. All of them. Let me, let me close with Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is just after Paul has said, you've been saved by grace. Right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. How many of them? All of them. All of them.